Kim. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. When you try your best, but you His don't tip, Williams succeed. controls on the block on the right side. Williams stumbles. Williams, a one-foot jumper is good. From the baseline, he gives the Rebels a two-point lead with 2.50 to go. Oh, just the way you draw it up. Over to Webster. Left side, Keyshawn. Open for a three. It's no good. Rebound, Maldonado. Maldonado with four seconds, and the Rebels foul, and that may do it. Ball comes into Williams. Williams up ahead to Hamilton. Hamilton court. <laughs> Hamilton puts it off the glass. No good. And they were pushed from behind, and no call. Bryce was pushed from behind and no call, and the Rebels lose it 59 to 56. Did Tyler not join us? I didn't realize. I didn't realize the reopening? I didn't realize John Sandler went out complaining about the referees. I don't even remember there being anything close to a foul on the last shot of the game. I thought they, uh, boy, they, I thought they actually got a better shot than I thought they were going to. Yeah, with like truth, three seconds left, yeah, they, three that seconds. was that was yeah. a very uh, uh, well drawn up yeah. play where they it required Donovan Williams to hit basically an over the shoulder pass to Bryce yeah. Hamilton. So yeah, maybe that. Donovan Williams to play quarterback for UNLV next year, but oh. it uh, worked out pretty well. Hey. hey. As hey, long as he wears sun, sunglasses indoors. It's a Friday with Ed, Tyler, and Jared, and we can promise you this. We're better than the Golden Knights. Are we? Well, on most days, we're better I than think, the Golden I Knights. I think we're the Buffalo Sabres of Sports Talk Radio. Really? I, I think so. I mean, in Las Vegas, yes. We are the yeah. Buffalo. Come on. We're getting shortchanged here. We've got chickens. We've got birds. We've got horses. Yeah. No one Jared's else has that on their shows. Jared's, Jared's got broken ribs, and he's in. Yeah. And he's in. He's in work today. Yeah, he's Cody Eakin uh, of the show, <laughs> and that's a compliment today. Cody Eakin yeah, played Cody well Eakin yesterday. Played really well yesterday. So uh, it was. Listen, it was a terrific sports day yesterday. Like locally, obviously UNLV and the Golden Knights lost. UNLV season is over. The Golden Knights had one of their most embarrassing losses in franchise history. But just beyond that. Baseball's back. Ben Simmons and the the Sixers or Ben Simmons and the Nets went to Philadelphia, and the Sixers fans got absolutely embarrassed in that game. And a ton of good college basketball. Like yesterday was a legitimately great day of sports. I'm excited. So now that Ben Simmons, uh, Jared's dying to go to the first bite, but I'll ask you real quick. Now that Ben Simmons got booed and everything, this is what his lawyer wanted. Exactly. Oh, 100%. Now it's in the lawsuit or the grievance, whatever they're going to file, and they're going to win, and the Sixers are going to have to pay him $20 million. Here we go. The first bite. It's hard to tell. Normally, Tyler gives me a look. (laughs) How did UNLV lose to Wyoming? Well, we just heard. Yeah, it didn't help to start one they of 12. They got pushed in the back. They didn't say, well, it was a one of 13. One of one 13, 13 start. Yeah. 0 of 7 on threes. Just terrible start for them. But then they fight back and get the lead in the last two minutes. They can't score. Three three stretches in this game were important. They start the game 1 of 13, which is a complete disaster, right? Anytime you go 1 yeah, of 13 from good. the floor of any time in the game is not good. They ended the game, the final minute 45. Wyoming scored the last seven points of the game. You know, we had the lead with two minutes to go and did not score 
the rest of the game. Those were two critical moments. And then the other key moment, with four minutes and 30 seconds left in the first half, Hunter yeah. Maldonado and Graham Ike both had two fouls and were both sitting on the bench. The two best players on Wyoming, the, the only two players that give Wyoming a shot at the NCAA tournament this year, were on the bench in foul trouble with four and a half minutes to go. UNLV was down by nine points. That four and a half minutes, they got to play against Wyoming without their two best players. That was their chance to really get back in the game. And when the buzzer sounded in the first half, UNLV was still down by nine yeah. points. They did not take a single point off the lead in that four and a half minutes. Now, eventually they took the lead in the second half. Like It's not like that completely took away their chance to win. But if they get within two or three right there, and then in the second half they play Dude, relatively they did, the same. Then instead they, of up two or four, they're probably up eight. Yeah, and it's a completely different last two minutes of that game. But those were the three key moments to where UNLV lost this game. Opening one of 13, into the first half when they couldn't cut into the lead with E.K. and Maldonado on the bench, and then obviously the final minute 45 when Wyoming scored all seven points of the game. Those were the three key moments that UNLV lost. They were good the rest of the game, but for about, what is that, 10 minutes or so? They were Wyoming was significantly better than them, even if their best players weren't on the floor. God, I wish someone would have asked him about that four minutes because there weren't many questions after the game to any of the coaches or players uh, because those <laughs> act, those 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 times didn't uh, go very long as we sat there falling asleep. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's I I just go back to the beginning. Uh, you're sitting there watching it, and they just do miss after miss after miss after miss, and it's like man, I think it was eleven to two, eleven to four. Um, they had a two nothing lead on the ham uh, ham basket. They didn't score a bucket until twelve minutes later. <laughs> it was like twelve minutes, right? It was like thirty seven yeah. seconds they, in, and then they scored a basket with like seven fifty eight. Yeah, they had a, they had a few free throws in there as well, right. so it yeah. wasn't a massive scoring no, drought. But, but they did not make a shot from the floor for another twelve minutes in the game, which is unreal to to think. Now that's really hard to do, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's very Absolutely. hard to do. And especially against Wyoming, who's not like they're fine, but they're not a great defensive team. Like this wasn't Boise State or San Diego State where, no. OK, yeah, they're really good defensively. Wyoming's fine, but nothing spectacular. Now, one thing I wanted to highlight, the second to last play of the game for UNLV, not the running three from Bryce Hamilton, no, but no. the corner three from Keyshawn right. Gilbert, where UNLV's down one final 20 seconds, final 10 seconds, and Keyshawn Gilbert takes the biggest shot of the year something that i love that unlv did in the second half they started using justin webster as the screener for bryce hamilton mm -hmm. and the reason for that was in the first half and they did it in the first matchup too wyoming would just trap bryce hamilton if he came off a ball screen that involved a big man so if royce ham set a screen wyoming was going to trap it and that's part of the reason why unlv was so bad offensively in the first half is they forced the ball out of Hamilton's hands, and nobody else could make a play or make a shot. So in the second half, the adjustment they made was Justin Webster, who's a three-point shooter, would run out and screen for Hamilton. And because he's a three-point shooter, Wyoming didn't want to trap it. They didn't want to blitz Hamilton because then they'd give Justin Webster a wide-open three, and they didn't want to do that. And that was a big reason why UNLV came back in the second half. Bryce Hamilton went from four points in the first half to 18 in the second half. They literally ran that play like 20 times in the second. It was nonstop. Webster screened for Hamilton, let Hamilton attack. It gave him a chance to score. But this is also where Kevin Kruger got beat because in that final or second to last play, down one, out of a timeout, they run the same play. Webster, ball screen for Hamilton. 
but Wyoming changed how they defended it. Jeff Lender changed his defense. He blitzed Hamilton regardless. He did not care that Justin Webster was setting that screen. He blitzed Hamilton regardless, made him dribble backwards, sent two defenders at him, made him pass. And then Linder, after the game, said that their goal was to get the ball out of Bryce Hamilton's hands on that play. And that's where Kruger got beat because his team did not look ready for Wyoming to change its defense. I think they were assuming Wyoming was going to run the play their defense the exact same way they had for the entire second half. But they didn't. And Hamilton had to dribble backwards. He eventually made the right pass, but it was late. I mean, he dribbled back towards half court and then eventually threw it to Justin Webster, where there was a help side defender waiting. And then Webster threw it over to Keyshawn Gilbert, who did get a, a fairly open he look was, from he was three. Open. But then this is the other part where I think Kevin Kruger messed up in that final uh, minute there. Keyshawn Gilbert has made seven threes all season. And he was on the floor out of a timeout. This wasn't live play. This is out of a timeout. You can put whoever you want on the floor. He's on the floor as a floor spacer in the corner. And when Wyoming blitzed, they decided to leave Keyshawn Gilbert alone in the corner because he has made seven threes this season. Mike Nuga's in the game there. I think he shot 36, 37% from three this year. Granted, he would have had to come in cold but he's actually made more than seven threes this year. I think that's another area where Kevin Kruger probably messed up in terms of who should have been on the floor. If you're going to put a guy in the corner as a floor spacer, the guy's got to be an actual three-point shooter, which is not part of Keyshawn Gilbert's game. So the biggest shot of the entire season was Keyshawn Gilbert taking a corner because of two reasons. Kruger left him on the floor, and Wyoming outcoached Kruger in that timeout and changed their defense. We talked about it after the game last week on the ball screens and them blitzing him, and then in the second half they did what they did in the second half yesterday. Then why did they wait till the second half yesterday? Yeah, that was an interesting thing. They should have seen, like, oh, three possessions in, they're doing exactly the same thing on ball screens. We better just let him go one-on-one and and, and him create. But they, they almost waited another half again. Right, that was an interesting, uh, because even after the game, Kevin Kruger said, like, he he gave a quote, like, we wanted to see if they would defend stuff the same way they did in the first matchup. Well, it shouldn't surprise, take 20 minutes. Right, and surprise, surprise, they did. And you're right, it, it took them until halftime to make that adjustment, which is interesting, because you would think, like, they were, like, Kruger post-game made it sound like they were very aware, hey, this is how they defended it, let's see if they do it again. And then once you see it probably two or three times, you're like, oh, okay, they're going to do that again for right, an entire let's half change. Year. You're right. They, there should have been a pre-halftime adjustment that conceivably would have helped the offense score. You know, it would have not gone 12 minutes without making a shot in the first half. So it was like it, it was a it was an interesting game because on the other side, I think one of the best moves Kevin Kruger made was letting Keyshawn Gilbert play a ton of minutes to defend Hunter Maldonado mm-hmm. because oh God, Donovan Williams couldn't guard him, could no, not guard no. Hunter Maldonado, just no. backed him down, easy layup almost every time that Donovan Williams was defending Hunter Maldonado. Keyshawn Gilbert came in and he got he drew two offensive fouls on Maldonado. He, got a, he forced a couple turnovers outside of that on Maldonado. He was significantly better. And Kruger basically said, all right, this Keyshawn Gilbert's playing – pretty much the rest of the game because they needed him to guard Hunter Maldonado. And that was one of the big reasons second half that UNLV was able to come back was because they slowed down Hunter Maldonado post up. So it's, he made, and he, and that's an adjustment he made on the fly in the first half. I mean, that was like seven minutes in, he made that adjustment to Keyshawn Gilbert, but offensively they just, they didn't make the change until halftime. And I think 
yeah, you look back, that might be a big reason why they lost too, because they didn't. They if they make that adjustment sooner, they probably don't start one of thirteen. It might only be like three or four of thirteen, but that's significantly better than one of thirteen. Maybe they were just drowned out by the Wyoming crowd. They oh, got confused. Man, they got confused. I listen. I know Wyoming normally travels well no, for they the Mountain do. West they tournament, do. but what seventy five percent Wyoming yes, fans? Yes, that was I a home mean, game for Wyoming. Sorry, whew. sorry. It's a home week. It was a home game for Wyoming. And it's 780-something miles. And I was, uh, got to be honest, I was disappointed with the Rebel fans. I mean, not the ones that came. Not the yeah. ones that came. I because mean, in the light, isn't, you know, down the stretch, didn't they have five, 6,000 a game if we were being, like, honest and not, like, yeah. announced crowds? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. They they had, like, legitimately five or 6,000 people in the building for the, the second half of the Mountain West season. And... I mean, I, I'll say this: the it was a tremendous atmosphere. Yes, like great. I like the, the there were more Wyoming fans than UNLV fans, but the UNLV fans were loud too. Like that was a especially terrific in the atmosphere. second half, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. They're not. There's not much to be loud about when you're one, one of thirteen. 13. <laughs> but it like it was a great atmosphere. But I think that game is really all you need to see to know why UNLV doesn't have a home court advantage when this game is played at Thomas and Mac. Like that game is all is all you need. Like, Wyoming's crowd dwarfed UNLV's crowd like when you have Jeff Linder and Graham EK calling for the crowd to get loud in UNLV's home building you're not playing a home game no like it sure it might be the same gym you've played in you might get to sleep in your own bed I guess those are benefits but when the crowd is 75 percent Wyoming the team that's like the farthest away distance wise from Las Vegas yeah that's Maldonado afterwards I told our guys we don't lose on our home court (laughs) ouch (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of all you needed to know at that point <laughs> even though it was the first time in like 700 years or something they had won a game in yes, Las Vegas exactly and he said it's our home court all right coming up next the Raiders and the NFL did they did they officially win the Khalil Mack trade the plan is to get back to the game in a position that no one ever been maybe Jerry Jones think it looks sexy that I'm putting out all this motivation and all this hard work and encouragement Maybe you want to harness some of that energy. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Did Antonio Brown call Jerry Jones sexy? I think he implied maybe Jerry Jones wants a sexy wide receiver. (laughs) Oh, Antonio Brown. I hope he and Kanye by the Broncos would be phenomenal. Um, But. In the NFL yesterday, we have gotten into a massive trade every day, which is great. Uh, yesterday, except the Bears, for... well, the Raiders and Derek Carr. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe he's today. He's next on the list. Um, but yesterday, the Bears traded Khalil Mack to the Chargers, and they got in return a second-round pick and a sixth-round pick. Now the Chargers will be paying the rest of Khalil Mack's contract. He is owed thirty million dollars, or he has a thirty million dollar cap hit, I should say, this year, twenty eight the following year, and then twenty six the year after that. So still three years left on that deal. Uh, he does leave a dead cap hit of over twenty million dollars on the Bears for this season, though that will go away next year. Um, so first off, for, let's let's start with the Bears here. What exactly do you think they're doing? Is it about salary? I don't know. He had he had thirty six sacks in fifty three games, um, thirty million dollar cap this year. Three more years, thirty, twenty eight, twenty six. I mean, is this just simply salary? I guess, but 
Okay, and here's where you look at the Chargers and Bears sort of in the same situation here in terms of they have a quarterback on a rookie deal. Now, Justin Fields is probably not ever going to be as good as Justin Herbert, but we've only seen kind of a half season of Fields. Maybe he ends up being really good this year. But the idea of when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, a good one, that's when you should be spending a lot of money on a player like Khalil Mack. That's because you are getting a, a extreme value at the quarterback position. That's when you should be spending on other positions. That's why what the Chargers are doing makes sense, right? In a couple of years when they have to pay Herbert, this trade probably wouldn't make much sense sure. for the Chargers because now all of a sudden you're paying Herbert $50 million and you're going to pay an edge rusher $30 million as well. But right now, Herbert's not making very much money, so... Khalil Mack, yeah, come on down. We'll we'll give you the thirty million. Uh, we'll we'll eat the thirty million dollar cap hit. But the Bears, I would assume, should be doing the same thing. I mean, we know Fields isn't as good as Herbert, but they they should be thinking the same way. Hey, we've got a quarterback on a rookie contract. We can afford to pay big dollar players. And it's not like Khalil Mack is bad. He got hurt last year, but it's not like Khalil Mack is bad. It's not like all of a sudden the guy can't get to the quarterback. The guy's still really good. His sacks per game average actually was better in his four years in Chicago than it was in his four years with the Raiders. Like, I don't quite get what the Bears are doing. Well, and I don't know. I mean, if we would have said yesterday, let's say, hey, Khalil Mack's on the uh, on the trade block with Chicago, I think we would have gone higher than a second and a sixth. Right? It, it, yes, if we had had a conversation yesterday like they're and gonna, it was Khalil they're about Mack, to trade him. And and we and somebody reported the asking price is a second and a sixth. I would have been sitting here saying, "Well, the Raiders need to trade." Yeah, for him. exactly. I would have been telling you yeah. the Raiders need to go get Khalil Mack back. A second and a sixth. Like the only real downside is that you 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 have to eat the cap hit of thirty million, which right. is a lot, right? Like I mean, that's a big number, but it's Khalil Mack, and if it's a second and a sixth, by uh, by Derek Carr, uh, Khalil Mack is back and. The Raiders are going to pay some cheap quarterback to come be the quarterback next year. Like a second and a sixth feels like nothing whatsoever. And that's all the Bears got back after giving up multiple first round picks to get him. So now you got Mac and Joey Bosa. Oh, my goodness. Okay. We did this. We did this with Russell Wilson because obviously quarterback changes uh, everything in a division and for a team when Russell Wilson goes to the Broncos and what it means for where the Broncos are in the AFC West. Uh, now the Chargers go out and get Khalil Mack. They've got Mack and Bosa. Like the, the Chargers and Broncos are apparently getting significantly better in the offseason. Are the Raiders going to do anything to get significantly better? Or are we talking about DJ Chark and a first-round mm. right DJ tackle? DJ Chark. I guess we <laughs> uh, free agency opens, I believe, next week. Uh, I, I believe I so, yeah. Open. So. I guess we got to wait and see what McDaniel's and uh, Mark Dave Ziegler has in line uh, for uh, <laughs> for their team. But the Raiders should get a local guy. They should really sign Chris Bryant now that the lockout is over. <laughs> yes. They're uh, they're not slowly, but you know, if you start ranking teams in the AFC West uh, now, I mean, they're last. Right, and and listen, it's March 11th. The off season is it technically hasn't really even started. These trades aren't even technically official yet. So. We shouldn't be grading already or shouldn't be judging already what the Raiders do in the offseason. But, like, what can they even do to to change that narrative that they're the last team in the, yeah. the AFC West? Like, they, they have the worst odds to win the division, right? They have the worst odds of any division team to win the Super Bowl. 
like what what could they even do to do that like who even is out there they could sign i don't think there's a free agent they could sign that would change that narrative i don't even think there's like three or four free agents that if they signed all the best three or four i don't even know if that's enough even to change that bring, idea even if they just bring back their own free agents it's not going to be enough right so I, I'm curious to see if there's a big, because like two of the biggest splashes in the, of the offseason already, and it's they're going to the stay division. that way, yes. yeah. are in the division. Like Russell Wilson's going to be the biggest splash of the entire offseason, right? Now that Rodgers is staying, like there's not going to be a more important player that changes teams. And unless another important quarterback goes, Khalil Mack might end up being the second biggest splash because he's a really good at potentially the second best position or important position in the sport. Like the two biggest splashes so far, and maybe the two biggest of the entire offseason, are two teams in your division getting better. And again, if they like, I don't think DJ Chark's a bad signing. I like DJ Chark. I think he would help the Raiders. You're not going to sing, Jared, but it that's not going to change the outlook on the division if they add DJ Chark. I'm sorry, I was looking up what offensive linemen are available in free agency <laughs> because I don't know if you know this, the Raiders. The offensive line was a bit of an issue, and it now seems like the Chargers have gone on all in on, well, let's keep that an issue. Yeah. Well, hey, they, they got a couple former first-round picks on the offensive line. You don't believe in Alex Leatherwood? Um, I'm looking at Teron Armstead and Brandon Sheriff. Hey, they sound good. They... Probably, better, <laughs> probably better than Alex Leatherwood. Lincoln Tomlinson. Uh, I did want to ask you this, Ed. Were you surprised that the Raiders are officially not bringing back Alec Ingold? I guess it depends on how they're going to play, but they'll be okay because they have Sutton Smith. <laughs> so we're we're trying to get Sutton Smith on the show. Uh, <laughs> that is our favorite. Topic. That is our favorite former edge oh, rusher yeah, in college who had more sacks than Max Crosby playing in the same conference, but is now a fullback for the Raiders while Max Crosby is potentially getting twenty million a year. Yeah, um, Alec coming off an injury. He was a man. He was. A, he seemed like everyone loved him. He was a good teammate. Uh, to this day, his first-person story in the Review Journal, I think, leads our our our, our, uh, our paper and clicks over the last year. Um, he had a a cool first person for us. But yeah, I was a I was a little surprised. Um, how are they going to play? I mean, he, he tore his ACL. Maybe that has something to do with it. We're not sure how he's recovered. Um, but yeah, I was a little surprised when he when he tweeted out his goodbye. Yeah, I mean. You... He's coming off an injury, a significant injury, and the Raiders have another fullback under contract because Mike Mayock gave Sutton Smith a two-year deal. I it, it makes a lot of sense to not bring back Alec Ingold. Obviously, there are some leadership intangible things that Alec Ingold might bring, but with the new coaching staff, new front office, I don't know that that carries as much weight as it would have if John Gruden and Mike Mayock had been back. So it makes sense to let him go because you don't, need to be have paying two fullbacks effectively Sutton Smith can probably do the job even if you plan on using a fullback a lot like Sutton Smith will probably be fine as a fullback going into next year so it kind of sucks in terms of how much he was liked but it makes a lot of sense from just a, yeah, a pure roster standpoint yeah he was I forgot about that all right coming up next Ben Brown from pro football from pro football focus yikes joins the show do 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 preference on who you see tomorrow night usc or washington i don't really care i'm just trying to go get some food really okay we'll let you go get some food we're back to the press box with grady and bischoff wait who was just wanting to go get some food jamie jaquez 
Oh, they were interviewing UCLA players. Okay, that's good. That's good. All right, joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. Ben, thank you so much for joining hey, us. Hey, Ben. Um, we've had a lot of hey. quarterback news over the last couple of weeks. So let's – all right, let's start here in Seattle. Who would you bet on being the next quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks? Oof, so that is that is tough, right? Obviously, the, the, the Russell Wilson trade signals uh, some sort of rebuilding process taking place. So um, it's it's going to be ugly. I do think that Drew Locke's going to have some sort of uh, opportunity to at least win the uh, win the uh, quarterback role out of training camp. But we'll see. I think they're going to add you know maybe a rookie signal caller. Uh, I don't think they're going to go the free agent route. I don't think they're going to go the trading route. So it's going to be it's going to be a down year in Seattle, and I think that's probably uh, justified given their signal with what they actually believe uh, they have talent wise on the rest of the, the rest of the roster outside of Russell Wilson. What do you think of the trade in terms of what went back to them? I mean, I think that they, you know, unfortunately probably lost the trade uh, in certain ideas. I do think it sounds like if they went. Uh, for an NFC team like Washington or Philadelphia, they probably would have gotten more draft picks in return. That would have been my uh, particular approach. I'm obviously, you know, not too high on Drew Locke like a number of other people aren't uh, at this point in time. Shelby Harris as well, I think, is, you know, probably on the latter half of what he's going to do production wise. Noah Fan as well has never really broken out uh, at the tight end position. So uh, it seems like they got, you know, maybe some filler guys on the way back and then probably not enough draft picks. So I think it's probably overall a net loss for Seattle and, uh, you know, very justifiable trade that puts Denver obviously in contention to win, you know, not only the AFC West, but maybe the AFC outright as well with Russell Wilson, at quarterback. So definitely think it's a positive for Denver, uh, probably slightly negative from a Seattle perspective. Okay. So on the Denver side of this, is that where you think they should be pegged up there with a Kansas city, a Buffalo for the best teams in the AFC or best chances to win the Super Bowl in the AFC? Yeah. I mean, the thing is we haven't seen it all put together yet, right? So I wouldn't necessarily put them on the same level as, um, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs or Buffalo Bills. Obviously, Russell Wilson pretty, took a pretty significant step back uh, in 2021, but he has, you know, graded out as PFF, top-graded passing quarterback, uh, two different times throughout his, you know, throughout his career. He has had, you know, two of the top five best passing quarterbacks in the season uh, during the PFF era as well. So he is a guy that can definitely play at the top of the position if they get close to that outcome. That's when they're on the same level as Buffalo. That's when they're on the same level as Kansas City. But without showing it yet, I do think that they're definitely in a tier below those two, probably in a similar spot to uh, what I would say the Los Angeles Chargers are at right now. Should teams be, if we keep hearing these rumors, uh, you know, calling and inquiring about Deshaun Watson, is that, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen legally. We don't know if he comes back, if he'd be put on the commissioner's list. Are you surprised if there is this much action behind the scenes on Deshaun Watson? I mean, given, you know, obviously without without any of the off-the-field stuff, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, if not, you know, top three best young quarterbacks still. So um, I I guess I understand, you know, the kicking the tires aspect of it. It does sound like we're going to get at least a lot more clarification on where he stands from a legal standpoint here uh, today. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there's a there's – a lot of a lot of obstacles to overcome to even see him suiting up again here in 2022. So um, I think you know maybe people are kicking the tires on the fact that they think he he's going to be uh, relatively cheap to you know take away from Houston. But uh, without knowing how the situation plays out today, 
Um, I'm probably inclined to probably just wait and see uh, what actually happens. But, you know, given, you know, throwing out all the off the field stuff, which you cannot do whatsoever, but uh, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL uh, on the field. So uh, I do think that that is definitely where the intrigue lies with some teams. The Raiders might end up making a decision on Derek Carr. They could extend him. They could trade him. They could just try to see if he'll play with one year left on his deal. I'm curious from your standpoint, like uh, I think FanDuel has the odds for the Raiders to win the division at like uh, plus 1,000, where everybody else is plus 310 or better. Should Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, like should they be sort of looking at things like that and saying, wow, we really are the fourth best team in this division. We don't need to try to go for it this year because we don't have a great chance to actually win. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, we haven't necessarily seen too many teams operate with that kind of mentality, but I do think it is the smart and correct approach, right? Like if you can not necessarily maximize your win expectation in the year that's upcoming, but that increases your win expectation in, you know, the years three through five coming down the road. I think that some of the smarter teams are going to start taking those sorts of approaches, right? Maybe not necessarily going all in or trying to, you know, compete with, uh, you know, what looks like to be three of the best four or five teams in the AFC in their own division in this particular year, right? And I do think if you push out a little bit further, if Josh McDaniels gets his guy at quarterback, maybe they build up some of these skill position type options. They obviously have a pretty decent defense, but Patrick Graham coming in, needing to instill his defensive scheme, kind of getting players to fit that particular scheme as well, is going to take some time. And I do think that if they play their cards right, uh, in year, you know, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but year three when Justin Herbert's, you know, no longer on his rookie deal, when Patrick Mahomes is hitting the high point of his salary expectation, when Russell Wilson maybe isn't at the prime of his career any longer, that's when the Las Vegas Raiders can be really relevant in the AFC West and actually have the tools in place to compete to get to the Super Bowl. So I think taking a longer-term approach, although that's not necessarily what the fans want to hear, not necessarily what the media wants to hear, I do think from a team-building perspective, uh, it makes a lot of sense for the 2022 Raiders to go in that direction. It makes a lot of sense for teams, especially in the AFC, uh, to potentially focus more so on that three- to five-year window uh, than trying to win everything here in 2022. Now, we as the media want to hear that. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do. We want to hear that. Uh, if yesterday someone said, hey, Khalil Max on the trade block, all you need to give is a third and a six, what would you have said? I mean, it's it 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 is it is pretty. I think it's a perfect it's a perfect opportunity for a team like the Los Angeles Chargers, right? Who do still have uh, Justin Herbert on that rookie deal? It's a it's the type of all in move that having the right quarterback on the rookie deal allows you to do, and it allows them to completely build up their defense. It doesn't sound like you know they're completely done yet in you know kind of remaking a defense around Joey Bosa. So I think they're going to add somebody in their secondary. I know there's guys you know like Stephen Gilmore, maybe a J.C. Jackson as well. But uh, yeah, it's 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 the perfect fit for for Los Angeles given their you know contract situation. I do think that they get easily looking toward you know a top five defense in the NFL, and it's kind of exactly what they need to do to compete with Kansas City, kind of being able to get some of that pressure home on Patrick Mahomes, that's really going to probably be what can potentially separate them and end up maybe allowing them to win the division here outright. Is there anything funnier than Washington trading for Carson Wentz and their Super Bowl odds getting worse? <laughs> I mean, no, and I, I, it is funny, and it is, it is a really great talking point and everything, but I think, you know, and we saw it with Denver, too, last year and this year, like the, the bookmakers at least try and price in some amount of uncertainty where these teams may land 
uh, you know, a star quarterback like Russell Wilson or something like that. So there is a little bit of that baked in. So then when uh, the, the fact actually happens and the rumor doesn't necessarily come through, I think that's maybe partially the reason why we saw a little bit of an adjustment on Washington. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fitting, right? I think, you know, everybody outside of Washington is kind of wondering what they're trying to do with Carson Wentz, that quarterback. It seems like everyone else is basically uh, sold and done with the fact that he is just not going to be a relevant starter in the NFL. Maybe Washington wants to run it back one more year, but it's uh, – I think it's going to turn ugly uh, in the nation's capital with Carson Wentz at quarterback. So it's uh, it's it's ironic, I would say for sure. So, I mean, with the money he received, it just seems like a complete disappointment. I guess you're not surprised that the Raiders are cutting Corey Littleton. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not overly surprising. I think you know it makes sense from you know a team building perspective as well as the direction that they're heading. So I'm not not overly surprised. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, here in free agency, and again, going back to it with the Derek Carr situation playing out this year or potentially being traded, uh, there's there's just a lot of question marks remaining with the Las Vegas Raiders right now. Uh, who would you want to bet on to be the next quarterback of the Colts? I so personally, as a you know closet Minnesota Vikings fan, I really want to bet on Kirk Cousins to be the next quarterback <laughs> of the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I would like to see you know I think. And the thing is, like, Kirk Cousins isn't bad, right? I do think we've seen him play close to a ceiling as, you know, a top five, top six PFF passing quarterback in the NFL. Uh, given the defense, given the run game and everything else, I think that they could squeeze out, you know, playoff first in what is looking like a down AFC South division with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. I do think he is their best option, but uh, I, I, I don't think they're done here whatsoever. I do think they're going to probably end up landing Jimmy Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins uh, and I do think that is, that's obviously going to be an upgrade over Carson Wentz and probably pushed them into the playoff race here in 2022. Uh, how would you describe your emotions after Aaron Rodgers was announced as coming back to the Packers? <laughs> I mean, I I was actually, I feel like I was actually right on at least the initial quarterback uh, changing teams or staying. Like I did expect Aaron Rodgers for the most part to stay in Green Bay. It just made sense given his career trajectory, uh, given the state of the NFC in general, that they could easily probably looking like and are now the odds-on favorites to win that conference. So him staying in Green Bay always made a lot of sense. Uh, I did think Russell Wilson was probably going to be on the move, but I thought he was maybe going to stay in the NFC. It seems like Seattle probably pushed him uh, to be in the AFC uh, instead of the NFC. So uh, I wasn't overly surprised with the Aaron Rodgers situation, obviously, when you know the Russell Wilson news actually hit. Uh, it's it's pretty surprising to see a quarterback of his caliber actually traded, but um, in saying that, I think that's going to be the most surprising move of the offseason. But I don't think you know the quarterback uh, market is uh, fully set yet. I would say so. I do think we're going to see at least one or two more trades happening here uh, in the next week or two. But as a Vikings fan, devastating, right? Devastating. I mean, it's just it's just it, it's always <laughs> the same, right? It's been this way for twenty years. I can't. And it, it, they can't knock me any lower down than what they already have, so I'm fine waiting. Now that's and that's kind of what I want to do. You know, we talked about with the Raiders earlier. You know, not trying to maximize uh, your win expectation in 2022, maybe pushing it out to that three to five year window where you are, you know, potentially capable of actually competing for a Super Bowl at that time, as opposed to trying to go all in on any given year where you just don't have uh, the horses in place to actually compete with some of the best teams in the conference. Or you know, overall for the Super Bowl, I would say. So that's, I think similar outlook for um, you know the Raiders and Vikings. They kind of have you know maybe somewhat of not necessarily completely same uh, team building perspective, but uh, a lot of things I think can definitely be grouped together with how they actually are going to approach this 2022 season. So I do think they are two interesting 
litmus test for, you know, future team building success here uh, as we move forward into this more analytically driven uh, future at the NFL level. Well, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Yep. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Thank you. All right. Coming up next, we're going to stick right here with the NFL because I think we might have a sign that the Raiders are not going to rebuild, that they are going to go for it in 2022. Stevens spinning, drive right down the lane, threw it away. No, he got it to Jacobs. He'll lay it in. 1.8 seconds to go. Ashworth the heave. It's short. It's short. And Colorado State will get the victory over Utah State 53 51. Stevens down the lane was able to get it to Jacobs for the game winner. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. All of the higher seeds won in the Mountain West Tournament yesterday, but what the biggest margin was San Diego State winning by seven over Fresno State for. Uh, extremely close games. In I the think Mount that West final was yesterday. twenty to thirteen. <laughs> How about that first half? Well, well, it was like ten to ten with like yeah. four minutes That's left sick. in the first half, or oh something stupid goodness. like that. Defense, defense, <laughs> wins championships. Uh, but, yes. So in the NFL, <laughs> I, just uh, ribs. I am very curious to see if this means something for the Raiders this offseason. They yesterday uh, made a couple of moves to create some cap space. They released Corey Littleton. Um, he has, there's going to be $4 million of dead cap hit money for this season, and they're going to push $10 million of dead cap hit into next uh, season. So the Raiders are spreading that out. He, would have counted up to 16 million cap this year if he stayed on it. They also, according to Field Yates, restructured the contracts of Colton Miller and Kenyon Drake. Uh, Kenyon Drake only had one more year on his contract, so maybe he's getting an extension. Maybe there's some void years on the end of that. Not exactly sure what that is. But uh, combined, the two of them would have had a $25 million cap hit this season. That's now dropping down to about $10 million between Colton Miller and Kenyon Drake. So the Raiders have now created uh, over – they have over $30 million in cap space right now. The Corey Littleton cap space won't be available until June 1st rolls around. But what the Raiders effectively did yesterday was create cap space for 2022 while diminishing the amount of cap space they'll have in 2023 and probably 2024 and even maybe 2025. That, to me, sounds like they want to spend money this year, and right. they want to try to be good this season. Yeah. They uh, reverted those into uh, into signing bonuses, yes? Uh, yeah, I believe that's so what they did that's with what Colton they did Miller. To, yeah. With Colton Miller, and, and I think Kenyon Drake as well. Um, we need to explain. Someone, two or three, we got into a conversation about the basketball game yesterday, and someone said, what is dead money? Because it is something that we talk about all the time. We never really explain it. That they have to allocate like you know money for the player who's been cut to go against their cap, like to ensure you know the team has paid all the money. We should, uh, you know, we should explain that because I, I do think a lot of people like I got asked yesterday, well, what's dead money? Um, but it's important to to know that, right? I mean, it's important to know how much is allocated towards the salary cap in terms of how much they have to spend. 
it is it's more complicated than this but the simple way to break it down is that in the nfl like unlike baseball and hockey and basketball the nfl does easier, not have fully, easier to figure out by the way yeah the nfl does not have fully guaranteed contracts right. so players get a different amount of guaranteed contract and again it, it's more complicated than this but generally yeah. speaking if a guy doesn't have any guaranteed money left you can usually cut or release them or trade them and it does not then he's just gone he's just off your salary cap it's no problem whatsoever but if you were to cut a guy like Corey Littleton, who still has some guaranteed money on his contract, then you're going to have a dead cap. And mm -hmm. there's going to be uh, that player's not on your team anymore, but he's still going to count against yeah. your salary cap. You can't now, just release him and not have to have it against right. your cap. Yeah. Right. And so and now it gets really confusing, right? Like with Corey Littleton, for example, if they officially cut him today then there would be it'd be like a 16 million dollar dead cap hit for this season but because they're going to officially release him on june 1st june 1st is a big day for that then they can spread that dead cap hit across two years and it's only like four million this year and then 10 million next year mm -hmm. but because Corey littleton still under contract still has guaranteed money they can't just cut him and it not count right, against right, the salary right. cap. Okay. So, I, saw, I, mean, I got, yeah, right. we were talking about that yesterday. I, I mean, sometimes, you know, I think we talk in terms of what we know, but some people are like, what's the dead cap? What's that money? Because right. you're right, in basketball and stuff, it's a lot easier to figure out what the cap is right, and what the situation is. Because it's just their guaranteed just contracts. Their you just you just add up the contracts and compare it to the salary right. cap, and that's it. In the NFL, it's, ah, well, we can convert this to a signing bonus, and now you're going to yes. get a lot of money now, but it's not going to count as much right. against our salary cap until three years down. It's, very, it's why when people say in the NFL the salary cap isn't real, I mean, it's real, but pretty much everybody can find a way to work around yeah. it. You're going to pay the price in the future at some point, but you can pretty much always find a way to work around it because it's ridiculously complicated and stupid. But... The Raiders created salary cap space yesterday, and they I wouldn't imagine they would be doing that unless they were planning on spending money, uh, which implies that they're not going to be con content with just finishing fourth in the AFC West. They want to win.